Bible with you. That's we're going to study a little portion of scripture from Second Timothy chapter one. Uh, Pastor and I had a great time going to Oklahoma this week. Uh, we had fun. Uh, I always enjoy spending time with him. Uh, in our car rides, uh, we always joke that during our car rides, when Pastor and I drive together, we solve every single one of the world's problems. It's just nobody ever listens to us. So I don't know if we need to start a podcast and call it like car talks with pastor or what we need to do, but we solve all of them and nobody ever hears about it. So that's kind of a tragedy. Uh, but on our way down to Oklahoma, we, we went down on a Monday and Monday was my birthday. And so pastor on the way down, wished me a happy birthday. And, and, uh, it, it was, it was a fun day. We, we, like I said, we had a really good time. And then we got down there and we decided that we were going to take a couple of guys from the college, uh, out to, out to dinner that night. And so we went to this Mexican restaurant and it was awesome. Uh, it was probably one of the better Mexican restaurants that I've ever been to. Uh, but while we were down there, we're sitting around the table. We've got like five college guys with us and then myself and pastor and pastor mentions to them that it's my birthday. And so they were, uh, they were all excited, you know, wishing me a happy birthday and everything. And as they were wishing me a happy birthday, the waitress that we had comes back to the table and she, pastor looks at her and he says these words. He says, do you guys embarrass people on your birth, on their birthdays? And, uh, she was, she, she responded, she responded like too excitedly. She was like, yes, we do. And she goes back to the kitchen and I was like, great. Like everybody's laughing. Everybody's having a good time. Well, we get to the end of our meal and we had all just finished eating and the waitress comes back and I have a video that I want to show of what happened. So if you could put that up there for me. It should be audio. Yeah. Yeah, very nice sombrero. Yeah, very red. Yep. Do we not have audio in it? That's okay. You guys get the picture. Um, you can go ahead and turn it off. Um, so, basically... I was super embarrassed. And if you listen to the video, uh, they kept going over and over again and saying my name. They kept saying, happy birthday, Nick, and happy birthday, Nick, and everybody, it's Nick. And at one point in the video, she lifts up the sombrero and she says, uh, everybody look at Nick. And she kept saying my name over and over and over again. And so we get, we get up to leave. And as we're walking out of the restaurant, this old guy, he's eating his dinner. He turns around, sees me, and he says, hey, Nick, happy birthday. And I was like, ah, oh, thanks. Like, that's awesome. And then I get to the lobby, and another person, as they're walking out, they see me, and they're like, hey, Nick, happy birthday, man. And I was like, yeah, thanks. Appreciate it. We get back to the college, and I'm standing in the parking lot of the college. Keep in mind, the college is like, like five miles away from where this restaurant was. This guy drives onto the college campus. I guess like people knew who he was. He drives onto the college campus, drives past me in the parking lot, rolls down his window and he says, hey Nick, happy birthday. And I was like, oh my goodness. Like all, all of Oklahoma City knew that it was my birthday. <laughs> Needless to say, I was a little embarrassed. You know, it's funny, we, we get embarrassed over a lot of things. You know, we get embarrassed over things we say. We get embarrassed over embarrassing family members. Everybody's got that one uncle that, like, you never want to go out in public with because you know, like, Uncle Jim is going to embarrass you somehow when you're out at the store. Uh, we get embarrassed when we're singing at the top of our lungs in our room and we didn't realize that somebody else was in the house and now we're embarrassed because they heard our terrible singing. I know I'm not the only one that's had that happen. Um, we get even embarrassed over our own 
birthday. But what's sad is that in America, we have a lot of Christians that are embarrassed of Jesus. And I'm not talking about like when, when people say that kind of stuff, like a lot of times, like they're talking about out there. I'm talking about in here. I'm talking about on this stage right now. Person speaking to you at times, I find myself being embarrassed of the man who died to save me from an eternal hell. We, we often find ourselves embarrassed of Jesus. And I don't know about you, but I find myself, I, I feel the urge to share the gospel with somebody. I think we've all been there. We, we feel the Holy Spirit speaking to our hearts. But then we also feel this kind of, man, if, if I say that, they're going to think I'm weird. They're going to make fun of me. What, what, like they're going to say no. We find ourselves being embarrassed of Jesus. And in the passage that we're going to talk about tonight, it's in first or second Timothy. So this is the second letter that Paul has written to Timothy. And Timothy, we know he was a disciple of Paul. Paul spent a lot of time discipling Timothy, making sure that Timothy knew uh, how to live a life that was pleasing to uh, the Lord. And, and second Timothy would actually be the last letter that Paul would ever write. Uh, Paul, shortly after he pens 2 Timothy, he's going to be taken out, because right now he's writing this from a prison in Rome. He's going to be taken out of the prison, and he's going to be publicly beheaded for his faith. And so Paul is writing to this, this man named Timothy, who during this time is, is very discouraged. He's a pastor in Ephesus, and, and Ephesus is a really an, uh, an evil place. They, they, uh, there was a lot of idol worship in Ephesus, and Timothy's just discouraged. His mentors in prison, and he doesn't really know what to do. And so Paul writes this letter and he starts off by telling Timothy how much he loves him. He writes in the first couple of verses, he's like, Timothy, I love you. I pray for you every time I pray. And then he encourages Timothy to continue building the gifts that he has to communicate God's word to other people. He's encouraging Timothy. He's trying to instruct him. Even in the last days of Paul's life, he's still trying to disciple people. He's still trying to impact people. And then Paul writes to him in the couple verses leading up to the verses we're going to study. He tells him not to be afraid. Because obviously, if a person as close to Timothy as Paul is in prison, there's a lot that Timothy has to be afraid of. And so Timothy writes, or Paul writes to Timothy, and he says, hey, Timothy, God hasn't given us the spirit of fear, but of power and of love and of a sound mind. And right after Paul writes those words, he says this in verse number eight. Be not thou therefore ashamed of the testimony of our Lord, nor of me, his prisoner, but be thou partaker of of the afflictions of the gospel according to the power of God, who hath saved us and called us with an holy calling, not according to our works, but according uh, to his own purpose and grace, which was given us in, Jesus, or in Christ Jesus before the world began, but is now made manifest by the appearing of our Savior, Jesus Christ, who hath abolished death and hath brought life and immortality to light through the gospel. Whereunto I am appointed a preacher and an apostle and a teacher of the Gentiles. For the which cause I also suffer these things. Nevertheless, I am not ashamed. For I know whom I have believed and am persuaded 
that he is able to keep that which I have committed unto him against that day. And so tonight, we're going to study this passage and we're going to learn some truths about standing for Jesus, about not being ashamed, not being embarrassed of Jesus. And the first truth that Paul points out to Timothy is that we have a choice. Now look at verse number eight, or sorry, yeah, verse number eight. He says, be thou therefore, uh, be the, sorry, be not thou therefore ashamed of the testimony of our Lord, nor of me, his prisoner. So this doesn't, this verse doesn't really read like a choice, but in reality, Paul is giving Timothy a choice. He says, be thou not ashamed of the testimony of Jesus. And so really what a testimony is, a couple minutes ago when pastor said, hey, does anybody have a testimony to give? A testimony is really just an eyewitness account. It's a story of someone. And so when Paul tells Timothy, hey, don't be ashamed of the testimony of Jesus Christ, what he's telling them is, hey, don't be ashamed of the story of Jesus. Because when we share the gospel with somebody, that's what we're sharing. We're sharing the story of Jesus, how Jesus came down to this earth, that he was born of a virgin, that he lived a, a, a poor man's life, even though he was God in the flesh. He lived 33 years and then died on a cross. And on that cross, God put every sin that we've ever done on him. And then three days later, he rose again from the dead. That's the story of Jesus. And Paul says, hey, don't be afraid of the story of Jesus. But then he goes on and he says, nor of me, his prisoner." So Paul says, hey, Timothy, don't be, af- don't be ashamed of Jesus. Don't be embarrassed of Jesus, but also don't be embarrassed of me. Don't be ashamed of me. Because remember, Paul's in prison at this point. Paul's in jail. He's going to be executed very shortly after this. And because Paul is in prison, anyone who would have affiliated themselves with Paul would have been under the government's magnifying glass. Everybody would have been watching Timothy because he's an associate of Paul. And so what Paul is telling Timothy, because he knew that during this time, there was going to be a temptation for Timothy to, to say, no, I, I don't really know Paul. Like he, he, I don't really like even like him that much. He's kind of weird. I don't, I don't, I don't, I don't associate with him. It would be really easy for Timothy to do that. But Paul's saying, Hey, look, don't be, don't be ashamed of me either. Don't, don't be embarrassed of me. Now, why was this so important? Why was it so, like, we get why he shouldn't be ashamed of Jesus. Why, why shouldn't he be ashamed of Paul? Because Paul knew that the moment Timothy became embarrassed of Christ's people, he would eventually become ashamed of Christ. And vice versa. The moment that Timothy became ashamed of Christ, he would be ashamed of his people. And we see that all the time even today. That when people begin to get embarrassed of Jesus, they're like, oh, I don't know that I would call myself a Christian. I might like I, I go to church every now and then, but I don't know if I'm a, I don't know. Like I, I wouldn't say that everything Jesus said, said was true. And then later on, now they're even embarrassed of the church. They don't want to be a part of it anymore. And the same is true when they begin to get embarrassed of God's people. They don't want to be in, in around believers anymore. Eventually, they're embarrassed of, of claiming the name of Christ. And Paul knew that this was true. And so he says, don't be ashamed of Jesus and don't be ashamed of me. And then he says, but. So, so this is contrary. This is the opposite of being ashamed of Christ. And he says this, but be thou partaker of the afflictions of the gospel. In other words, Paul's telling Timothy, hey, don't live a what if life. 
Like, Timothy, don't live your life saying, hey, what if they make fun of me? But Timothy, don't make your, your life saying, or don't, don't live your life saying, hey, what if they say no? What if I go to try to share the gospel with them and, and, and then they go to the Caesar and I get beheaded? Or what if I'm at the family Christmas dinner and they bring up religion and I say what, what I believe and then they don't let me come back next year? Or what if I'm with that coworker at work and they bring up something and I, and I tell them what's true and then I get fired for it? What, what if? Paul's saying, don't live your life that way. Because as believers, what Paul's saying here is that if we're faithful to Jesus, we will suffer. That's what he's saying. That's the choice we have. Our choice is this. We, we can either align ourselves with Jesus or we can be comfortable. That's our choice. <laughs> now, that, that, that seems kind of harsh, but that's exactly what Paul is telling us here. In fact, later on in this book, in 2 Timothy 3.12, Paul would say this. He says, yea, and all that will live godly in Christ Jesus shall suffer persecution. So, so that's our choice. We can either align ourselves with Jesus, we can claim the name of Jesus, we cannot be ashamed or embarrassed of the name of Jesus, or be comfortable. That, that's the choice that we have. Paul says in Romans 8.36, when he's quoting another portion of Scripture, he says, As it is written, for thy sake we are killed all the day long. We are, account, we are accounted as sheep for the slaughter for your sake. So we either align ourselves with Christ or we live comfortable. That's the choice that we have. We either be faithful or we're comfortable, which means that when you're following Jesus, there are times that it gets uncomfortable. And that also means that if you're always comfortable, you're probably not following Jesus. Because he says, that we either are ashamed of Jesus or we're a partaker of the sufferings of the gospel. Now, I'm not saying that if you follow Jesus, your life will never be comfortable, okay? That's not what I'm saying. Because obviously, some of us in here, we live, actually, all of us live here in here, really, we live a pretty comfortable life, if we're honest with ourselves. We live comfortably. And that's, that's, that's America. We, we, get, we have the opportunity to live comfortably. And I'm not saying that that's wrong. I'm not, I'm not saying that, that you're, you can never have anything nice. You can never buy a Jeep Wrangler. You, you can never buy a new truck. That's one amen. That's good. But what I am saying is that you cannot pursue comfort and Jesus at the same time. It's impossible. That's why Jesus says that you can either serve God and mammon, but you can't serve both. We either serve the God of comfort or we serve Jesus, but there's nowhere in between. Because at some point in our life, we're going to come to a place where there's a crossroads and we're going to either have to choose comfort or Jesus. When we're sitting around the dinner table at Christmas, and that family member brings up what they believe to be truth. And you know in your heart, man, I should say something. You don't have to be a, a jerk about it, but, but you, you know that you should say something. You feel the Holy Spirit tugging at your heart to, 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 to speak the truth, but speak it in love. And, and you feel it, but, but, but you could also just not say anything. And it would be way more comfortable to say nothing than to open up that conversation. When your coworker at, at work says something untrue about Christianity, 
Like all you Christians, you're just so hateful and you hate homosexuals and you hate everyone that's different than you. They say that. And you know in your heart that that's not true and you know that you should say something, but it would be way easier not to. When you're given the opportunity to share the gospel with somebody that you're close to, but you're scared. And you're like, man, it would be way easier for me to just shut my mouth and not say anything than for me to open up that door. See, the idea that if we follow God and everything will be comfortable, the, the, the idea of prosperity gospel, it's very foreign to the New Testament. Like it's not in there. I like what one pastor said. One pastor put it this way. He said, we cannot measure obedience by the outcome. Because if we, are, we, we obey God, sometimes it's not going to come out the way that we want it to. Because sometimes they're going to say no. Sometimes they're going to call us crazy. Sometimes some, like they're not going to respond the way that we want to, but that's okay. Because we don't measure obedience by the outcome. We measure obedience by this book. That's, that's, that's our measure of obedience. So in those situations, it's really easy to ask, what if, but we have a choice. We either follow Jesus or we live comfortably. And living comfortably is always easier than following Jesus. It always is. I'm, I'm not like, I'm not one of those guys that if you follow Jesus, it's going to be super easy. And then, no, no, it's hard. It's not going to be easy. When you have to make that decision between being comfortable and following Jesus, you are always going to want to choose comfort. Every, I always want to choose comfort every single time. And there are times that I do. But we have a choice. We can either serve Jesus or we can be comfortable. And so in those times, we, we have to decide beforehand, hey, I'm going to serve Jesus more than being comfortable. And that's why we have to memorize scripture like Isaiah 51, 7. that says, hearken unto me, ye that know righteousness, the people in whose heart is my law. Fear ye not the reproach of men, neither be ye afraid of their reverence. Or, or scriptures like Psalm 119, 46 that says, I will speak of thy testimonies also before kings and will not be ashamed. We're not ashamed of Jesus. We have a choice. Because although comfort is easy in the moment, it has destructive outcomes. Those of you that, that have read the book or maybe even watched the movie Unbroken, how many of you have seen that before? Okay, so, so you know the story of, of Louis Zamperini. Louis Zamperini, he was a, uh, an athlete. He was a runner in the, uh, in the uh, Olympics. And after he had run in the Olympics, he ended up becoming... Uh, a soldier in, in the Air Force during World War II. He got drafted, and he became a ball turret gunner. And so he flies B-17s, and, and one day he's on a mission, and he's flying over the ocean, and the plane that they had given him was not, uh, was not a very good functioning plane, and the plane goes down in the ocean. And when the plane goes down, every person on the plane, except for Louis and two other men, died. And so these three guys, Louis and his two, his two uh, fellow soldiers, they get out of the plane. They're able to get in their life raft. And during this time, they really didn't have the provisions to give soldiers when they went down. And so the, the food and water that they had if they went down was very scarce. And so they're in this life draft, and Louis was really the only one that had his, his mind together. The other two are freaking out. And so he picks up, he, he puts all the food and water that they have together, and they really only had like one bottle of water and then a couple of candy bars chocolate bars. That's all they had. 
And so Louis kind of took charge of the situation. He said, okay, this is what we're going to do. You get one or two sips of water a day, and you get one square of chocolate of this chocolate bar a day, and that'll make it last as long as possible because we don't know how long we're going to be out here. They all agreed. That night they go to sleep. Louis wakes up in the morning, and he looks over at his friend. And around his friend in the raft is a pile of candy bar wrappers. He had eaten every single candy bar. In his fear and in his panic the night before, ate every single one of them. That is not the kind of person I want to go down in a plane with. I mean, I don't want to go down in a plane anyway, but that's not. I don't want to go down with him. Because in the moment, for Louis' friend, that was a really easy decision. I'm going to eat as much of this candy bar as I can so that I can survive as long as I can, and it's going to be great. I'm, going to, I'm just going to gorge myself right now. And it was a really easy decision in the moment. But what he didn't know was that they were going to be at sea for almost two months. And that decision to eat all of the candy bars had a very destructive outcome. And the irony was he ended up passing away before they ever got rescued. You know, the same is true when we make the choice to be comfortable overstanding for Jesus. That it has a destructive outcome. Because in the moment, it sounds good uh, to say, hey, I just want to make the choice to, to, to be comfortable. But in the end, our family members that we could have witnessed to, the coworkers that we could have stood for Jesus in front of, they're all going to be spend, spend eternity in hell, and we could have done something about it. And right now, it sounds good to say, hey, I'm going to choose, I'm going to, choose to stand. Right now, I'm, I'm going to make the choice. I'm going to stand for Jesus. But that choice is easier said than done. We can say right now all, all night long, we can be in here and, and say, hey, we're making the choice to serve Jesus. But when it comes down to it, it's a lot easier to say it than to do it. And so how do we choose to stand? Well, that's when Paul goes on. Look at verse number eight again at the end of the verse. He says, nor of me as prisoner, but be thou a partaker of the afflictions of the gospel according to the power of God. So we have a choice. We can either stand for Jesus or we can be comfortable. But listen, the power to choose to stand is not found within yourself, but it's found in the power of God. Because we, we don't, we're not going to choose to stand on our own. It's just not going to happen. That's why Paul says that it's according to the power of God. Because Paul knew this wasn't about Timothy's willpower. This wasn't about Timothy being being really like good at standing. This wasn't about Timothy being bold and not caring what anybody think. Like Timothy needed more than a TED talk to be able to stand for Jesus. And so he says, Timothy, you're not going to stand on your own strength. You're going to stand on the power of God. That's the only person that's going to cause you to stand for Jesus. Not according to your own self-confidence. Not according to, to, to your own will to not care about what other people think about you. Not in your incredible speaking ability. It's in the power and grace of God that allows us to stand for Jesus. And it's his power and his grace alone. Like, we do not have to do this whole thing by ourselves. We don't. And that's why Paul keeps on going. He says in verse number nine, he says, who has saved us and called us. So he's talking about God here. 
who has saved us and called us and, uh, with a holy calling, not according to our works, but according to his own purpose and grace, which was given us in, Jesus, in Christ Jesus before the world began. So in verse number nine, he's talking about like he's talking about God, obviously, and he says, who saved us? Now we know this, right? This is like, this is Sunday school, Christianity 101, okay? I'm going to tell you something that every single one of us know. Jesus died to save you. That's what he died for. He died to save you. He died so that you didn't have to spend forever separated from him in hell, and he died so that you could spend forever with him in heaven. We know that. But Paul goes on. He doesn't just say, who has saved us. He also says, who called us with an holy calling. Not according to our works, but according to his purpose and grace. So it's not just that God saved us by his grace. We know that it's not according to our own works, right? Ephesians 4, 8, 9. It's not by our own works, or 2, 8, 9, sorry. It's not by our own works. It's by the grace of God and putting our faith in Jesus. And, and a lot of times we act like that's the only thing God's grace is good for, just to save us. And once we're saved, then we got to do everything else on our own. But that's not true because it says that he not only saved us by his grace, but he called us to a holy calling by his grace. It's his grace that allows us to stand for him. It's his grace that sanctifies us. It's his grace that allows us to get victory over sin. It's his grace that allows us to live a successful Christian life. It's all his grace. Our sanctification really has very little to do with us trying super hard and a lot to do with his grace. It's all about his grace. A lot of times we think that God saved us. But man, now it's, now it's my job to stand for it. Now it's my job to get victory over this sin. Now it's my job. And it's, it's just not. It's still his job. He's the one that gives us victory. And then in verse 10, he explains where that grace is found. Look at verse number 10. But now, but is now made manifest by the appearing of our Savior, Jesus Christ, who hath abolished death and hath brought life and immortality to light through the gospel. It's the gospel. The gospel is not only what we share with people, but the gospel is what changes us from the inside out. And so we have a choice to make. But that power and the grace to make that choice is only found in the gospel. And so what do we do? We meditate on the gospel. When we fail to share the gospel with somebody, we meditate on the fact that Jesus has forgiven us. When we fail in that temptation that we've been struggling with, we meditate on the fact that Jesus came down to this earth, that on the cross every sin that we have done, are doing, or will ever do was placed on Jesus, and that God, when he looks at us, doesn't see our sin, that he only sees Jesus and his righteousness, that we are completely forgiven, that we are completely wiped away. We meditate on the fact that we are forgiven people, and as we meditate on the fact, as the gospel begins to change us, as the gospel becomes real to us, it will become real to others. Look, the power 
to impact people. It's not found in us. It's found in the changing of the Holy Spirit and the gospel working in us. And unless we allow the gospel to penetrate every area of our life, we will make no impact. So if we have to make a choice, and the grace to make that choice is found in a person, then I think it would be pretty important to be close to that person, right? Because that's what Paul goes on to say. This is the third truth that we see, is that the way you stand is by knowing who you stand for. So look at verse number 11. He says, Whereunto I am appointed a preacher and an apostle and a teacher of the Gentiles. So, so he's speaking of the gospel. He's saying, like, I've been appointed to, to be an apostle and a preacher, and, and, I, and I preach to the Gentiles. Paul is saying, hey, look, I, the gospel has changed me, and now I am, I am allowing the gospel to change others through me. So Paul wasn't telling Timothy to do something that he wasn't already doing, which is like the, wor- the worst thing you can do when impacting people or when leading anyone is to tell them to do something that you're not already doing yourself. But that was not Paul. Paul is telling him, hey, this is what I do. And then Paul goes on in verse number 12. He says this, for the which cause I also suffer these things. And then he goes on. Nevertheless, I am not ashamed. For I know whom I have believed and am persuaded that he is able to keep that which I've committed unto him against that day. The reason that Paul was able to stand for Jesus is because he knew the person that he was standing for. That he had a relationship with him. Paul spent time with him. He spent hours upon hours talking to him, not as a religious practice. He didn't read scriptures so that he could get on his Bible app and, and, and check a mark. He, he, didn't, he, didn't, he didn't pray just so that he could go around and tell people, hey, I prayed for you. No, the reason that Paul did the spiritual disciplines, as we would call them today, was not just so that the spiritual disciplines could be an end in and of themselves, but that so he could know Jesus. And as he knew Jesus, he was able to stand for him. Because we can't stand for somebody that we don't know. We won't. It's not possible. If we don't trust them, we're not going to stand for them. And Paul believed that Jesus would keep his promise. Because here's what Paul, Paul's mindset. He says, I know whom I have believed and am persuaded that he is able to keep that which I've committed unto him against that day. What Paul's mindset was, was that, hey, the worst that can happen, here, here's the worst that could happen. Like, like this, this will help you, like all of us, including myself in our life, when we're stressed, when, when we don't know how we're, we're going to pay rent, when we don't know how we're going to pay our car payment, when we like are confused because our kids are insane. Like here's what we can do. Here's what we remember. The worst that can happen if you're a believer in Jesus is that you die and you spend forever with Jesus. That's the worst that can happen. And that was Paul's mindset. He was like, look, I'm going to stand for Jesus because I trust him and I trust what he said. And here, the worst thing that they can do is they can take me into a courtyard, which they would do. They, or they could take me into a courtyard. They could put me on a bench. They could have a guy walk up with a big old axe and they could chop my head off. That's the worst thing that could happen. And I get to spend forever with Jesus. 
The reason Paul could do that is because he trusted him. And the reason he trusted him is because he spent time with him. Because he spent time trying to know him. See, the reason that myself and most of us are are scared to stand for Jesus is because we really don't have that much of a relationship with him. I'm not saying you're not saved. I'm saying you don't know him. The times in my life that, that I have not trusted Jesus or because I didn't, I didn't know who he was. Because if I knew who he was, I would trust him. And the reason Paul was able to trust him is because he knew who Jesus was. It, he knew, and this is why Paul says in, back in Romans eight eighteen, he says, For I reckon that the sufferings of this present time are not worthy to be compared with the glory which shall be revealed in us. Paul's like, look, the sufferings that I'm going to experience on this world are nothing compared to when I get to heaven and I get to spend forever with Jesus. They're nothing. That's also why when we read through the book of Acts, that um, in Acts chapter 5, there's this group of Christians. They had just been beaten for preaching Jesus. And the Bible says this about them. It says, and they departed from the presence of the council, rejoicing that they were counted worthy to suffer shame for his name. Like, they were, they were, like, the government had to be pretty mad because they were trying to stop him. And the more that they beat him, them, like, the happier they got. So there was really no winning with them. But it's because they trusted Jesus. They trusted that when Jesus said, in my father's house, there are many mansions. And if it were not so, I would have told you, I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go, I will come again and receive you unto myself that where I am, there ye may be also. They believed that. And that's why they weren't ashamed. Because they got to know who Jesus was. In other words, your ability to stand for Jesus. Listen to this. If you get nothing else from this message, I want you to get this. So listen. Your ability to stand for Jesus, your ability to not be embarrassed of Jesus, is directly related to your proximity to Jesus. So do you spend time with him? Not, not, just to, not just to say that you read your Bible. Not just to say that you tithed. Not, not just to say that you listened to worship music in the car. Not just to say that, that you prayed. But do you do those things so that you can get to know Jesus? You know, I dealt with the embarrassment of wearing a sombrero. Some of you are never going to go out with pastor on your birthday after this. I'm so sorry. I dealt with the embarrassment. I could have got up and left all angry, right? But I didn't. I stuck there. You know, after they humiliated me by putting a sombrero on my head, they brought out like this most delicious like cinnamon bread like it was like a pita bread that had cinnamon on it and you could put honey on it it was awesome you know i dealt with the embarrassment but something sweet came after the same is true when we stand for jesus look it might be embarrassing might be but i guarantee it'll be worth it in the end father thank you for preserving this chapter 